So I love uh, taking personality tests of all sorts. Um, and I know there's people that hate these, but you know, whether it's the Myers-Briggs or the DISC test or the Strengths Finder, I love to take them and, and learn about myself and learn about other people. My very favorite one is the Enneagram. Um, but, but for those of you who, um, you know, are, don't like to do that and have to listen to people talk about, you know, oh, I'm an eight and I'm a two and this is what that means and you're like, don't get it at all and wonder why we have to be in a box at all. I, I get that. Um, it can be a little frustrating and um, irritating when everyone around you is, is, has this insider language, right? But I have a friend, a, a mentor of mine, who said um, that there are just two kinds of people in the world. So two, you know, most of us can do. And he said, there are those who wake up in the morning, get out of bed, go to work, do what they need to do. And then there are others who wake up in the morning and look out the window and think, what is the purpose of life? <laughs> what does this all mean? What is the nature of reality? How do I know that this is real anyways? See, those of you who are those people, I can see the smiles on your face. <laughs> and the worst question of us all is, how do I actually feel about all of this? So there are these two kinds of people, and of course, we all are different in different places throughout our life. I mean, there's nothing like a screaming baby and a diaper that needs to be changed to make you stop questioning the meaning of life and get up out of bed and do what needs to be done. And there are times in our life where questions of meaning and purpose um, are more um, heavy in our lives than, than just doing what we need to do. But, but I, think, I do think in general most of us can fit into one of these two categories overall. And I am the second type of person. I am married to the first type of person, generally, which is a really good thing, because otherwise our animals and children may not have survived to adulthood um, up until this point. But it is for this reason that I love this version of the Easter story in Mark. I love that it ends with confusion and fear and it resists all our attempts to package up Easter with a nice bow. What if resurrection is mixed up in all that we experience in our lives? What if it's woven right into the fabric of our world? What if it's right in front of us and we're just missing it most of the time? Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for each person who is here and pray that this morning some bit of that Easter joy, some bit of resurrection will rise up within their lives and whatever they are struggling with and facing today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> this Easter story is really hardly satisfying. It begins with the women coming to the tomb, wondering what they're going to find there, wondering if they'll be able to roll away the stone. How is this going to be possible? 
And when they get there, they find that actually it's already been done for them. The stone is rolled away, and yet they have a much bigger problem. There is no body there. And a stranger, a young man, Mark says, is there and is saying to them, he is not here. He's gone ahead of you. Just imagine their horror. Imagine their feeling after losing Jesus. Imagine how the the memories and the trauma of what they have experienced in the last few days are still ringing through their minds and their souls and their bodies. And all they want is to go and to anoint his body, to get past the trauma, to move on. And instead, it reopens again. And there is no body there. The earliest manuscripts of Mark end the book at verse 8 where Diane ended. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. In the centuries that followed, the church kept trying to rectify this ambiguous and less than satisfying ending. And so in most of your Bibles, you'll find two alternate endings that have been suggested over time. But they say that the early, in the earliest manuscripts, those aren't there. It ends with that word, afraid. They were afraid. So what do we do with that? Kate Bowler wrote a beautiful book this year. She's a um, church historian at Duke Divinity School. And the the book is called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved. (laughs) It's a really beautiful book. I recommend it. Recommend you read it. But Kate married her high school sweetheart. She went on to graduate school. She got a master's and a PhD and was invited to teach at her alma mater. And her research was on uh, the prosperity gospel. So churches that believe that the measure of your wealth and the measure of your health is in direct proportion to the measure of your faith. And this is what her study is on. You know, we call it also the name it and claim it gospel. <clears throat> but then, a couple of years ago, When everything was going well, she had the job, she had this amazing husband, and they had had this beautiful, long-awaited little boy. She was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And all of a sudden, as she began to journey through this cancer diagnosis and the treatment, she realized that she, along with the people that she had studied, believed that in some ways she could, she could earn goodness, earn favor. That if she was just brave enough and smiled enough when they were giving her the chemo infusions, if she just ate enough, drank enough of those green juices, that she, her cancer would be gone, that she would be miraculously cured, that she'd, she'd be able to stay and watch her young son grow to adulthood. She began to see that, that she did all of this internal bargaining with God just as these people that she studied did. But her cancer really defied this relentless positivity. And now she's going in for checks 
every three months to see if she's got it cleared, is cleared for another three months. But she asks this, what would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says, you are limitless? Everything is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not yet here. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy and whole did not have to mean healed? What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. So, you're probably thinking, no, this is the most depressing Easter sermon I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I'm kind of thinking that at this moment, too. But this is what I want to say. What we want resurrection to look like and what it actually looks like are often different. The women coming to the tomb were so lost in their grief and in the impossibilities of their pain that they completely missed the surprise of the resurrection. Resurrection doesn't come to our perfectionism. Resurrection doesn't support our um, illusion that we have everything under control. Resurrection comes to our brokenness, to our fear, to our grief, to our questions. It's all mixed up in our human experience. Resurrection as we experience it here and as it is possible in this moment is not about being perfect and all your problems being solved. Resurrection is about wholeness. And the question is, like the women missing it at the tomb and trying to figure out what they were seeing and experiencing, can we see it? Are we willing to see it? Are we willing to let go of the ways we're holding on to control and our expectations and our perfectionism to embrace resurrection? My friend Rory, going through a really difficult time in his life right now, shared this quote by W.H. Auden with me this week. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. The April Fool's joke of today's story is that resurrection swirled around these women, but they weren't able to see it. The invitation to them and to us is to develop eyes for resurrection. I was able to get a sense of what that might look like a couple of years ago when I was privileged to visit and stay on Robben Island uh, where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for uh, 18 years. And we stayed in the minimum security prison, a group of activists and pastors, and we went to visit the maximum security prison and Nelson Mandela's cell. We got to walk around the island and uh, listen to and see the penguins that are there. If you've never heard a penguin sound, you should go home and Google it, because it's amazing. What was the most um, impressive to me was the visit to the lime quarry. The lime quarry where Nelson Mandela and his fellow prisoners worked nearly every day for hours a day in the heat with no shade. They would take a pile of rocks and be told to move it to one side of the quarry and then later they would be told to take that same pile of rocks and put it right back 
where they had moved it from. And this senseless work over and over, you can only imagine the despair that might have grown in that place. But what he and his fellow prisoners decided is that they could transform even that place of trauma and futility and suffering. And so the prisoners who had more education began to teach the prisoners who had very little education. And they began to call the lime quarry the university, <laughs> a place where they were teaching each other and learning. And out of that lime quarry university, many men graduated with college degrees and went on to uh, postgraduate degrees a work camp that became a university. It takes a resurrection vision to see that. Resurrection shows up any time that we refuse to live in the death of either it's all bad or all good and instead live in the place of both and, in the place of possibility. Without denying the reality of the prison, without denying the, the cancer diagnosis or the pain of your struggle, you can find life here. You can find it by seeing with the new eyes, new eyes that take time for silence, new eyes that, that, that reach out and listen with compassion, new eyes of service and loving one another. New eyes of having difficult conversations. Slowly, slowly, resurrection reveals itself. Slowly, we realize that there is a reality that is larger than death, larger than violence, larger than our anger, larger than our sense that we're not enough, larger than anything we can imagine. Beyond all of that, Love wins. May we find our resurrection vision in the reality of our lives. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.